Welcome to the Cross Church Podcast. This Sunday, July 28th, marked the halfway point of our summer series, Summer of Psalms. Pastor Allen preaches on Psalm 32. Enjoy today's message. So we're continuing in our series in the Psalms. Today is the halfway mark. We're looking at 10 of the Psalms written by King David. And King David has really become uh, probably one of the best-known biblical characters and has inspired God's people for 3,000 years. Uh, King David, as you know, is called a man after God's own heart. The first king of Israel, his name was Saul, but Saul was, was a disobedient king. He refused to obey and listen to God. And so finally God had enough one day, and he said, that's it. I'm taking your throne away from you. You will not uh, have offspring on the throne. I'm giving it to somebody else more worthy, to somebody who's a man after my own heart. That, that one is David. Now, here's the, here's the thing that's interesting about David, is that even though he's called a man after God's own heart, he wrote about 75 of the Psalms, uh, a truly a godly, wonderful man, the grandfather of, of Jesus, one of the grandfathers of Jesus, uh, just really tells you something about him. This great man of God is also a great sinner. And if you know the story of King David, you know that David was an adulterer. He murdered. Uh, he took up a, a census out of pride, wanted to, wanted to count the people and count, count what he had under his rule. He definitely was a man who was not perfect. If you're from a Roman Catholic background, you may have grown up learning about various saints. In fact, every day in the, in the calendar has got some saint that is honored and revered. And you would think that these people, these so-called saints, never, ever sinned or never made a mistake in their life. Interesting thing about those who are in the Bible is that we see them in their, in their goodness, but we also see them warts and failings and, and, and everything is right there for all to see. Here's what you and I need to understand. You and I need to understand that, that each and every one of us is, in fact, a sinner in need of God's grace. And the sad thing, my friends, is that too often we, we are afraid to admit that. We're afraid to say, I am indeed a sinner. Unless, you have, unless you've done some sort of a, a heinous sin that everybody knows about, then you're, you're, you may be the, one of those people that tends to uh, have a hard time admitting that you could ever do anything wrong. But I'm going to tell you that the first indication that you are, are converted, that you are truly a Christian, is that you have the ability to admit and even to confess that you are a sinner in need of God's grace, in need of God's forgiveness. And the thing is this, we all, maybe there's some people here today like this, but we all know people who can never admit they're ever wrong, and they certainly cannot, can't admit that they need God's forgiveness. We know that you're converted if you can say, I am a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. In fact, I would go so far as to say that you know you're converted if you can actually talk about the old you versus the new you. The Apostle Paul said that we are, if you're converted, you are a new creation. 
And so when we baptize people, it signifies the old you being buried and the brand new you being resurrected. If you are converted, then the old you has died and there's a brand new you. So as, as a Christian, as a, converted, as a converted man, I can talk about the old Alan versus the new Alan. I can talk about the, the flesh versus the spirit, the life that has been energized by the spirit of God. It's important to understand this. And by the way, uh, in September, we're going to have, uh, to me, I'm very excited about it. It's going to be one of our best series ever, and it's going to be on Acts 8, 9, and 10. It's about conversion. Because here's what I want as a pastor. I want to make sure everybody who's here understands what it means to be a real Christian. I think we all understand that there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians, who go to church, but in fact, they're not converted. We know a person is converted if the Spirit of God is at work in, in your life. If the Spirit of God is not at work in your life, if the Spirit of God is missing in your life, then you're, then you're probably not converted. So we want to make sure of that. The question is this, is how do we get to that place called conversion? Now, David, who we've been talking about, uh, this is a, a, a marble uh, sculpture by Michelangelo. It was done in 1504. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, without any mechanical tools, uh, he did this, this, this wonderful sculpture. It's in Florence, Italy. It stands about 17 uh, feet tall. That's about, uh, what is it, about five, uh, five meters high. Um, Michelangelo captures, the, captures David with that furrowed brow, and his neck is tense. He's got a sling over his shoulder, and he's, in his other hand, he's got his rock. He's ready to do battle with Goliath. Now, if you've ever seen this, you'll know why I'm not showing you the full sculpture. But, uh, but you, I want you, to, I want you to, to see how, in fact, the stories in the Scripture, and particularly of David, has inspired, literally has inspired people for 3,000 years. And, and i got to tell you, uh, there's a great move right now to, to ditch Christianity, to ignore Christianity, to ignore the Bible. But what you need to understand is that the West has been shaped and formed, first of all, by Christian values, but more than that, by the stories of Scripture. And this is why when you look at the ancient, ancient uh, artwork done through, well, through the past 600 years and more, you're going to see the themes of Scripture in the artwork that was done by artists. And Michelangelo's David is one of the greatest pieces of artwork ever created. Now, David has inspired so many people uh, and has inspired uh, people of every age. There is, uh, there's over 16 major literary works based on the life of David. There's, I think there's three movies out of Hollywood. There's about six TV movies that have been made. Um, there has been uh, uh, major sculptures and paintings and, and, and theater works. And I don't know if you knew this. This is really quite interesting and very helpful. Uh, the king of spades is thought to be David. Anybody play cards? It is now okay because David is involved. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But there it is. David has inspired people of all generations. This, this great man of God who is a sinner 
in need of God's grace. So if there's anybody here today who is feeling as though you are overwhelmed by sin and what could, God couldn't forgive me, God could, God could not embrace me, I'm not good enough. Well, the, the answer to that is, of course, you are not good enough. But David shows us how we can find favor with God. And we find it in Psalm 32, which we're going to look at. Now, in, in January... Uh, 2019, just this past January, the CBC announced that suicide is now the second leading killer of Canadian young adults. And we're seeing the same thing in the USA. In fact, uh, suicide along with, with reckless use of drugs and alcohol uh, puts it at about 33%. So we're, we're, we really see that it's huge. The only thing that's, that's, that's the greater killer is in fact accidents uh, on the highway, etc. In January 10th, 2019, Zoe Blarowski reports that depression is rising throughout the world. Now, this, this is going to really give you some insight into what we're talking about this morning. She says, today, 10 times more people suffer from depression than they did in 1945. 10 times more people. Now, I'm going to tell you, I, I have taken a lot of flack for saying what I'm going to preach about this morning. But I'm going to tell you that, uh, first of all, I'm not looking for flack. I'm not, <laughs> I'm looking, not looking for, for uh, angry emails. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show you the truth that sets us free. Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Zoe Blarowski says depression is 10 times more, more prevalent today than it was in 1945. Now, I've got to point out something to you. In 1945, the West was still predominantly Christian or Judeo-Christian in its value system. Now, if there's ever a time when people should be depressed, it would be during war times. In 1945, the Nazis were, were not quite snuffed out yet, and there were literally millions of people that died in that era. In fact, uh, some historians say as many as 100 million people died, not just through, uh, through what the Nazis did, but through what Stalin did. Uh, death, death reigned. And yet today, when we live in relative safety and peace, we have, we have 10 times more depression. Well, folks, I'm going to tell you what's going on. We live in a world now that is rejecting God. When I was growing up, the teacher read the Bible to us, and we prayed in school, and that happened every single day. We have kicked God out of the schools. We don't want anything to do with that. Not only do we not pray and read the Bible anymore, but we want to pretend that the Bible and that Christianity has had absolutely no impact on our culture or upon us. And it's, anybody with a brain in their head can recognize this is absolute, absolute nonsense. It's foolhardy to pretend that Christianity had no impact on us. David tells us in Psalm 32 what it is that we need to know about dealing with those feelings of gloom, despair, and moodiness. Before I tell you about that, Zoe Blarowski goes on to talk about six factors that, that she believes contribute, contributes to depression. And she says it's social acceptance. And if you're not socially accepted, that would be depressing. Uh, chronic illness, that would be depressing. Drug abuse, alcohol abuse. She doesn't say anything about the fact that people are probably using drugs and alcohol 
to medicate against depression, but that's another issue. She talks about social, isola- social isolation. She talks about technology and actually the modern lifestyle, which I don't have time to get into any of these things right now. She goes on to report that the most depressed, anybody want to guess which the most depressed country in the world is? The United States. Isn't that interesting? The most depressed people in the world, the most gloomy people, the saddest people are the people of the United States. Now, you would think that the happiest people on earth would be in the country that, well, Trump says it's the best country in the world. President Trump says it's the greatest country, and he's made it that way. He even said he's greater than George Washington. Uh, Yeah, um, the greatest country on earth the richest country on earth, the the country that everybody wants to go to. And it turns out that living in a free country, in a rich country, is not going to solve your problems, the problems of the heart, the problems of the mind. So while Zoe contributes six factors, I want to add a seventh, which I believe is probably the real problem, the real issue. And that is this. Sin and guilt, or what we would call separation from God. The thing that brings depression and sadness and sorrow to your heart is feeling distant from God. And everybody here knows what I'm talking about. You know what, you remember the day when you were converted, when you became a Christian, when you put your faith in Christ. The old you was was dead and buried and you became a brand new creation. You remember the joy. You remember the happiness. You remember the victory that was yours. Well, David understands that. He understands what it is to have fellowship with God. Now, I don't want to quite let this go yet. I want to report to you something that the Harvard Medical School reported. And they say depression doesn't spring from simply having too much or too little of certain brain chemicals. Because that's the first thing that we want to say. Rather, there are many possible causes of depression, including faulty mood regulation by the brain, genetic vulnerability, stressful life events, medications, and medical problems. It's believed that several of these forces interact with one another to bring about depression. Now, I don't want anybody to go away from here today throwing away your pills, and, and uh, I, like, please don't do that. You need to talk to your doctor. But, but here's what I do want to say. is It's hard for us to admit that we're wrong. Our pride makes it very difficult to admit that we're sinners in need of God's grace. And I'm going to tell you that the beginning of joy, the beginning of happiness, the beginning of freedom in your heart and in your spirit begins with confessing your sins. Look at what David says in Psalm 32, verses 3 to 4. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Now, wouldn't you call that a, a, like a perfect definition or a perfect description of, of a person who's depressed? Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. Can't even get out of bed. Sleep for hours every day. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. I couldn't do a thing. David is talking about his sinful condition. The sin in his life was actually affecting him, not just psychologically, but physically as well. 
It's important to understand the sinfulness of sin. I'm going to tell you today that sin that is unconfessed, sin that is not dealt with, shame and guilt that is not dealt with in your life will produce in you not just a heaviness of spirit, a gloom, a doom, and a depression, but it will actually affect your physical well-being. They're absolutely 100% connected. Now, when you look at that report from Harvard Medical School, it says nothing about depression being a spiritual problem because we, in our infinite wisdom, no longer want to admit that we are spiritual beings. But I'm going to tell you today, you have come to church for a sermon. You haven't come to university for a lecture. You're here to find out what's really wrong. And I'm going to tell you that the suffering and the struggle in your life today can be alleviated by putting your faith in Christ. Now, this, this problem of depression, this problem of, of shame and of, of guilt is something that we all understand. In fact, if you look at um, the writings of Shakespeare, you see it throughout, throughout Shakespeare's works. You see it in the movies and in TV plots. Has anybody read Lady Macbeth or Macbeth? And you read about Lady Macbeth and, and how uh, her husband comes home and says, the witches have declared and prophesied that I shall be king of Scotland. And this lodges in Lady Macbeth's heart and she wants her husband now to kill the king, King Duncan, so that she can, I didn't say Duncalf, King Duncan, so that she could, she could be the queen of Scotland. And she cajoles her husband. She, she is constantly nattering at him until finally he gives in. He kills the king. And now suddenly she's gripped with extreme guilt. What does she do with it? She cannot be rid of it. She has nightmares. She wakes up sleepwalking. You remember that. She's got, she feels she's got blood on her hands and she cannot wash that blood off her hands. Out, out. And leave it at that. What is she going to do? Eventually, her guilt drives her insane so that we find her killing herself at the end because of her guilt and shame. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is something that every one of us struggles with. And every one of us needs to find resolution. We need to resolve this guilt in our lives. Some of us will, will run away from home at, at any age. Some of us will turn to alcohol, some will turn to drugs, some will, talk to, will turn to uh, illicit relationships. Some of us will, will immerse ourselves in, in uh, our careers, trying to satisfy our hearts and, and, and deal with that, with that nagging guilt and shame in our heart. It actually produces something like a madness, an insanity. If you've ever seen the Bourne Identity series or the Jason Bourne series, every one of them, that the, it, and a lot of people miss this, but at, at the core of, those, of those, that movie series is a guilt that Jason Bourne's trying to deal with. He's trying to find solutions. And I would, I would suggest to you that that really is what all of us are trying to do. As we're trying to pursue happiness in this life, we are, on the other hand, struggling with that guilt and that shame that's gripped our hearts, and we don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to get rid of it. Well, the good news is we have the Word of God that teaches us how we can be free. 
When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long, day and night. Your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Maybe that's you today. How can I be free of this guilt? How can I finally be set free and know joy in my life? Well, I'm going to tell you there's a simple solution. Very simple. In fact, it's so simple that most of you know the answer, and you could give the answer, but sadly, it's here and not here. The solution is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. It's asking Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin. Now, I know for some of us, our guilt is so strong that we think every time something bad happens to us that God's punishing us, that God's getting even with us, that God's letting us have it. I'm going to tell you right now that there's no suffering on this earth that you could go through that would atone for your sin. It wouldn't be enough. So then we could say with David, oh, wretched man that I am, what am I going to, or with Paul, what am I going to do now? Well, let's look at this verse from Romans. Because Paul is dealing with what every one of us here has dealt with or is dealing with or will deal with in, in the days to come. David declares, or Paul declares, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by God's grace. How? Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. We call this the doctrine of justification. Now, let me just quickly make this clear because this might sound like mumbo-jumbo and you can't quite get your head around it. Let me just, let me just break it down for you to help you understand what, what Paul is saying. He's saying that all of us need to understand that we are sinners, every single one of us. And if you can't say that, then I can't help you today. There's nothing I can do for you. We'll go on struggling. But if you're here today and you understand, actually, yes, I do know. I, I do know. I, I, I do have guilt in my life. I do, I do have shame. I, I have failed. I know that. If you, can, if you can declare and freely admit I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then I can help you. Because here's what Paul is saying. If you can confess that, if you understand that you have fallen short of God's best, if you can confess, I am a sinner in need of God's grace, then you're ready to receive the free gift that Christ offers, and that's the sacrifice of himself for you. Now, I've heard, I've heard people say some abhorrent things, like, what kind of a bloodthirsty God would kill his own son? To, to bring salvation. Can I just remind everybody of something? Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down freely. Jesus came to pay the penalty that your sin deserves. Jesus comes and he pays the penalty and he washes away the guilt and the shame. I remember as a young boy when I became a Christian, if, if, if there was any words that I would use to describe what happened in my life, I would say, I would use those very words, my sins are washed away. I know I am free, and Jesus Christ has done that for me. What, we, what, are we, what, what does the word atonement mean? It means that Jesus paid the price, that, that, that he paid the price for your sin. Have, have you come to that place where you're willing to admit that you are a sinner in need of what Christ did at the cross? 
Because if you take out, if you take out the cross, and this is what's happening now in so many churches and, and, and so many TV preachers, you, you're not going to hear anything about the cross of Jesus Christ. You're not going to hear anything about sin. You're not going to hear anything about the need to repent. You're not going to hear anything like that because it, it offends us. And I'm going to tell you, this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. He said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Jesus himself is called the cornerstone, which is an offense. It offends people. The gospel offends people because you have to admit that you're a sinner, and nobody wants to admit that. Everybody would rather declare, I'm a good person. Compared to all the people I know, I'm pretty good. Right? And the answer, of course, is no. And it's no every single time. I was having some fun with Patrick in the first service, saying that compared to Patrick, I'm a pretty good guy. Right? Compared to Raj, hey, it's a no-brainer. I get to heaven first. Right, Raj? His wife said, yep. <laughs> the fact is, every one of us is equally in need of God's grace. And I don't care if you've been to prison. I don't care if you've committed adultery. I don't care if you've fornicated. I don't, none, of these things, none of these things put you in a hierarchy of goodness or badness. If you've told a lie, then the fact of the matter is you are in need of God's grace as much as anyone who's done the most heinous things. Now, we're not here today to compare ourselves to other people. That would be absolutely absurd. What are we here today to do? We're here to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, whose death on the cross has made it possible for our sins to be forgiven. How do you receive that forgiveness? There's only one way. It's by faith. It's by saying, Lord Jesus Christ, I receive the free gift that you offer me. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. And Jesus, what you did on the cross, I'm going to believe that you did it for me. That's what we call faith, trusting that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for you. Died for you. And that's what sets us free. Now, David understands that he is a sinner chosen at a young age to be the king of Israel. I mean, if anything would get to his head, that would do it. If anything would make him a proud man and say, hey, I, I stand above my brothers and my, my father and my uncles and aunts. I'm better than anybody. If anybody, if any, anybody ha have a reason to brag, it would be David. But David knows what's in his heart. David knows that fundamentally he is a sinner in need of God's grace. And for that reason, he begins Psalm 32 with these words. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. Does anybody have a record today? In God's sight, it's clear. There's nothing there. Whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. In our small group, we had a few people, a number of people have been through AA, and one of the things that, that the members of our group always talk about is that you're as sick as your, as your secrets. Hey, when you become a Christian, 
you put everything out there. You're not afraid. You're not afraid to admit that you need Jesus. How many times have you heard people say Christianity is just a crutch? Have you heard that? Of course you have. I don't know. I don't need Jesus. I don't need religion. I don't need that kind of help. And the fact of the matter is, is that absolutely every person in this room needs Jesus. If religion is a crutch, well, I need two. If anybody needs Christ's forgiveness, I do. I don't stand before you as someone who's perfect or has got it all together. I stand before you as one who understands his, his complete and utter need of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that today? And if you understand that you need Jesus to wash away your sin, if you understand that you need to be born again or converted, if you, if you understand that you need Jesus Christ to save you, well, then you can say with David, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience has been forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. And here's what I can tell you today. My sin is put out of sight because of Jesus. I'm going to tell you, this is what gives be something to sing about. This is what makes it possible for me to rejoice and be glad. Now, we, talked, we began the service by talking about people who are living in depression. If you're living in darkness or depression or sadness, you, it may be that it's just a clinical something with your medication or whatever. But here's what I would recommend what you need to do. is You need to get on your face before God and find out why you are so down. Why are you so gloomy, especially if you call yourself a Christian? Because the one who's been forgiven is the one who walks and lives in joy. That's what David is telling us here. What joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. Joy replaces the gloom. It replaces the guilt, the shame, and the despair. But it only happens when you put your faith in Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. Every single Bible character has got all kinds of faults. This is one of the things that leads me to believe that the Bible is, in fact, true. Because if, if you wanted to pull a hoax on somebody, you would, not, you would not write out or declare the faults of these great Bible characters. But that's the thing about the Scripture. It's honest and it's true. And why is that? Well, first of all, so that you and I have hope that if God could save David, he could save me. But even more than that, it's to show you your need of Jesus Christ. This, this morning, if you are living in sin, in shame or in guilt, you're living depressed and down, then here's what I need to tell you. You need to run to Jesus. You need to get on your face before God and ask him to forgive you of your sin. And the Bible says that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is, this is not just for the day, the day when you're converted, but this is for the rest of your life. This is a lifestyle. It's called a life of repentance. A life of transformation. A life of being saved. You say, Pastor Alan, I thought that when I became a Christian, I, I was saved. Yes, you were saved, but you're, as long as you're on this earth, you're being saved. The Spirit of God is at work in you. And the way that you walk in the victory and the joy that, that your heart longs for is by learning how to confess your sin.
learning how to have your sins removed. Look at look what David says here in verse five. five. I mean, he has he's he has struggled with the guilt and the shame, and he's crying out to God, oh God, I can't stand it, and save me, why am I going through this? And then, and then he says, well, finally, finally, I confessed all my sins to you, and stop trying to hide my guilt. And some of you are doing that today, aren't you? You've been doing that for some time now. And God is confronting you right now by his spirit, and I'm praying and hoping that you'll be able to say along with David, finally, I confessed all my sins to you, and stop trying to hide my guilt. David says, I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. Hallelujah. This is for you today. You've come in here feeling guilt. Even this past week, it's been, it's been an absolute disaster in your life. You call yourself a Christian. But you failed your wife, you failed your kids, your boss, you failed God, you failed yourself, and you just feel like it's all over. And I'm telling you today that Satan knows how to push all your buttons, and he is the accuser of the brethren, and even now he's whispering in your ear, and he's telling you you're a hopeless mess, you can never be saved, you can, your guilt will never be washed away, you went too far this time, and there's no hope for you, and you should just give up and forget Christianity, forget God, God doesn't love you, God could never, he, Satan is a liar, that's what Jesus says. He's the father of lies, he's the accuser of the brethren. What you need to do, and it's hard to do because of our pride, is you need to run to Jesus. You need to confess all your sins and stop trying to hide your guilt. For some of you, you think that this only applies to big sins. What exactly is a big sin? And how big does it have to be before it counts? I'm going to tell you, if your attitude is wrong, if you said the wrong thing, you, you were snapped at your wife or your children, you cut somebody off, you got angry, that's sin. The evidence that the Spirit of God is living in you is what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. If this is missing in your life, then this is sin. And I'm not here to condemn or judge you. What I'm here to do this morning is to show you how to get your joy back how you can get your happiness back, how you can walk in victory once again. And the way you're going to do that is by running to Jesus and confessing your sin and stop hiding your guilt. Admit it. You're wrong. Some people go through life as victims. It's never my fault. It's my dad's fault. It's my mom's fault. It's my brother's fault. It's my, my friend's fault. It's God's fault. It's my teacher's fault. But it's not my fault. If you are here as a victim today, blaming everybody and not owning your own sin, I can't help you. But if you're willing to say today, oh, God, it's me. It's me that's standing in the need of prayer. It's me that needs my guilt and my sin washed away. Well, you've come to the right place because I can help you. His name is Jesus. And if you come to Christ and confess your sin, he's faithful and loving and just, and he'll forgive you. And God, it's, it, it's his idea. It's not my idea. I couldn't come up with something so brilliant. It's God's idea. And I'm going to tell you today, he loves you. And he's calling for you. In fact, it's no, it's no coincidence that you're here today. You're here because God wanted you to hear this message, a message of his love, a message of his forgiveness. 
Oh, David says, and you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. Wow. After that happens, here's what he says in verses 7 to 8. He says, God, I've confessed my sins. My sins are washed away. I've got joy in my heart. I'm happy again. I'm thrilled. I'm delighted. And God, you're my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. And you surround me with what? Songs of victory. Have you got songs of victory in your heart? Or are you singing the blues? Listen, if you're you're a follower of Jesus Christ, (laughs) we're supposed to be witnesses. This is what Jesus says in Acts 1.8. He told his disciples, you're going to go and be witnesses of me. What are we going to witness? What are we going to tell people? We're going to tell them what Jesus has done for us. He set us free. I've got joy in my heart. Do you? And I'm not saying like this. I've got joy in my heart. Nah, 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 nah. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, I've got joy in my heart, and it's because of Jesus. It's not because I've been able to talk myself up and make myself feel better, but because I've been forgiven. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. How many want to walk the best pathway for your life? I'm going to tell you, it's not by screwing up your courage, by reading all the positive confession and, and, the, and the books that are full of optimism. It's about having your sins forgiven and knowing what it is to have the spirit of the living God dwelling within you richly and moving you through this life. God says, I will advise you and watch over you. Who's, who's up for that? That's what I want. I I haven't got the wisdom to make it through this life, and I certainly don't have the ability to protect myself, but I know somebody who does, and his name is Jesus. Folks, this is is the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your sin, your guilt can all be washed away. All it takes is a willingness to repent, to confess, I am a sinner, O God. I'm in need of your grace. This is what David's talking about. And then he ends by saying these words. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who what? Obey him. You see, if you want to know this ongoing joy in your life, then it, it's, it, it's going to come through obedience. For many of us, this is how we live. We, 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 we mess up. We screw up our lives. We live in guilt. We live in shame. We run to God. Oh, God, forgive us of my sin. Forgive me. I, I confess I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm horrible. Please wash it away. And God, in his love and his kindness and his forgiveness, he forgives us. And we come out of that, we think, what does that ever feel good? And we go right back to our old ways. Right? Right? Yes, I know right, because I've been a pastor for a lot of years. I know how this works. If you want to be free of that horrible cycle where you are living in guilt and shame and you've got to run to God in repentance and then you sin again and you feel God can't love me now, so you stay away from God for three months, stay away from church, stay away from Christians, and finally you feel like you can't take it anymore, you can run back to God, you confess your sin, and it's a horrible cycle. Listen, if you want to overcome this, if you want to break out of this rut, out of this cycle, then what you have to do is learn how to obey him. And start doing what he says. Not because he wants to make your life miserable, but because he knows that when you obey him, that is when you're happiest all the time. 
We call this walking in victory. We call this walking and living in joy. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. You want to know the joy of the Lord? My friends, it comes only one way, and that is by having a pure heart. Because out of a pure heart comes rejoicing and gladness and great joy. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for the reminder from Psalm 32 of a life of justification by faith. God, we put our faith in you. We believe that you will forgive us our sins because that is what you've told us to do, and you do forgive us. And we thank you today, oh God, that we can walk in that victory. We can walk in that happiness. We can walk in daily victory by obeying you every day. God, help us to break free of this horrible cycle that so many people are in of, of falling into sin and temptation and then drifting away from God out of fear, out of, out of shame. God, rather help us to run to you and know that you love us and you'll forgive us our sins every single time. So thank you today for Jesus and thank you for the victory that's ours through Christ. Give us the grace, we pray, to walk in obedience before Jesus. We pray that for Christ's sake. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Tell the person beside you, go walk in obedience.